This is a post-Christian podcast. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Good morning if you're watching. Good morning if you're not watching. (laughs) Afternoon, evening. Yes, oh that's right, good afternoon, good after evening, good after evening. Mm -hmm. Good after day, good day. Throw shrimp on the bobby. Um, Welcome everybody to Revolution. Happy Father's Day to anybody who's out there dad in it. It was really great. I woke up this morning with the kids wishing me happy Father's Day and they made presents for me and they did one of those things where they the little papers where it says my dad is oh that's cute so many thinks I'm three years old and Milo thinks I'm 12 um I'm probably <laughs> emotionally correct on that one and uh my favorite thing to eat is canned sodas which is diet coke unfortunately so I obviously that's a, a, a scream for help for me to it's not <laughs> far off yeah my kids think I eat soda <laughs> um yeah I've got a diet coke addiction um, yeah, but it was cute. I should have brought them. I'll post them later because they were really, really cute. And then they made me these handprints, hearts. I'm sure their mom helped, but they were really cute. That's cute. So, yeah. Well, one was a footprint. Minnie gave me a footprint and Milo gave me a handprint. Um, so surprise, surprise. Today we're going to talk about love again. All I talk about is love and grace. I must be a hippie. So, as I was saying this week about today's talk, um, um, there's this John Mellencamp song, and I can't remember the title of it, but um, it says, you know, this growing old is not a coward's game. And uh, for some reason that always stuck with me, but then I, I was thinking about how about love and I was thinking about a quote from Martin Luther King and um, which I'll get to in a minute but but I was thinking about this that love or loving others is not a coward's game as we continue to see so much insanity on television and online with politics and and life and social justice you know I was just focusing back on how we love people and it's whether it's friends spouse partner co-worker family stranger or enemy love requires quite a bit of us and it's never easy, you know. I was even thinking about in friendship. You know, there's times in friendship where we're, we're where we can be most connected. Did anybody have a friend that you can like hang out with, spend time with, and then not see for a couple years, and then you just pick up right where you left off? You know, those are amazing friendships. I love friendships like that, um, and I have a few, which is good because I'm an introvert, so I disappear a lot from people's lives. Um, but like my best buddy Bo in Orlando, you know, he 
me and him can go years without seeing each other and then just one day we just pick up right where we left off you know and i've been blessed to kind of have friends like that where we just are able to live life go through its struggles its ups and downs and then run into each other and then just pick up right where we left off and i love that you know and then you know we all we have friends that have been there for us in dark times and struggles you know, there's times where we're able to be there for each other and maybe not be able to be there for each other. And different times in our lives where friendships can be really difficult, you know, where you're going through something, but someone else is going through something too. And and uh, struggling, and they're not able to be there for you. And, and you feel alone, you feel forsaken, you feel lost, you know, and like, where are my friends? You know, but it, it's, it, it's just realizing that people have their lives, they have lives, they have to live, and we're not always able to connect with one another. Um, and I say that, I use that as an example just to say that loving others can be tough. You know, loving others can be a struggle. Um, loving coworkers, you know, and, and, and family, you know, especially with the politics the way they are, the world the way it is, um, this virus, because it seems like half the world thinks we don't have it anymore and the other half is does and... I'm still at the point where I'm wearing my mask. Um, and then when it comes to loving strangers, you know, people you don't know, when you feel called to do that, that's a struggle as well. And and then loving enemies is even something that's even tougher. You know, loving enemies is, 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 is something that we have to learn to perfect and work on. But I was focusing on a quote from Martin Luther King and I and I wanted to try to take a deeper look into it and see if maybe there's something instinctually in us all that we may be able to grasp and get in touch with that might be something interesting. So this is the quote that Dr. King said, there can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. I'll say that one again. There can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. And one of the things that I see a lot of, especially online, I probably spend way too much time looking at my phone, um, but I see people full of disappointment, you know, pain and hurt, disillusionment, um, and I wanted to look at that and say, okay, so 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 if King is right, if Dr. King is right, then then when we are greatly disappointed, when we see this deep disappointment coming from others, then there must be some sort of deep love that's behind it. So if MLK is right, is there love that we have that we are not in touch with that's inside us? Is there a type of unconscious love that we have not tapped into? Obviously, because if it's in the unconscious, we don't know about it, but it's there. You know, it's like a Freudian slip. You know, you say something and, and, and your unconscious is, is trying to get out or your dreams or things like that. You know, very Freudian stuff. But I wanted to look at that MLK quote in a Freudian way is, is, is there something inside of us with this great disappointment that we have towards Christianity, towards faith, towards 
politics, towards the president, towards how the police have handled black lives, you know, I mean, you know, and seeing what our black brothers and sisters are going through. You know, we have this great disappointment. And what I'm asking there, is there a love that is, that is, that is covering sides? Like, would we, would we be disappointed? Would we be upset? Is there something, you know, if it wasn't, if there wasn't something within us that had an expectation or a hope um, that had some sort of love that somehow wanted to see change um, so I, I think with, with the words of, of King is that no you know we must have some sort of love if we're disappointed um, so do we love and not know it are we capable of love that we just have not realized that it's there yet um is love working on an unconscious level that is greater than our hate? Can we get in touch with this unconscious love somehow? Um, a lot of people go to, to uh, psychoanalysis for to get in touch with what's going on in the unconscious. Um, and are we willing uh, to do that no matter the pain that it causes? So today's going to be a bit short, but I, I just these are questions that I have concerning this this quote, concerning this idea of that if we are continuously disappointed by what's going on, where is this love directed towards? What is this love? Where does this love come from? And how do we how do we get in touch with it to the point where maybe we become less critical? Not that critic, critic, criticism does have its place, but where we, we're not even less critical, but where we become more um, constructive. We have more constructive criticism. That we tap into, our criticism becomes constructive because there is a love behind it that hopes for things that are better. You know, I, I think one of the, one of the things we're all doing when we protest and we speak out we're saying we hope things become better we're saying that we must we must love our our country to a certain extent we definitely love these ideals that people can be free and that people can be equal um but i'm just curious too is is are we not just saying we need to remove these people which i think some of these folks need to be removed and, and changed but is there a love that we have that's unconscious for even these people who are creating and playing a part in the injustice? And that's really tough to see. Um, you know, hate is not the opposite of love. And that's something that I learned in therapy is that that when I would hate someone and I would feel a lot of hate in my heart. Usually it's, it's um, a dialectic anyway. You know, usually you can hate and love at the same time. But hate is not the absence of love. You know, hate is kind of a cousin of love because you, you, 
you have these negative emotions, but a lot of these negative, hurtful, angry emotions are built up in expectations that you had that were not met or hopes that you had that were crushed. And so you kind of reverse it. But it still means that you care. It still means that you give a damn. So when someone hates someone, um, it's it's almost as though you you know you still care about them, even if you're wishing harm on them. There's still some sort of care. the The opposite of love is indifference. Mm. So indifference is what frightens me most. You know, indifference is when things don't change and we just don't care anymore. And literally don't care. I think I've been in relationships where I've seen indifference come. Where it's just like, I don't care. And that's when I know it's done. That's when I know that there's not much hope. And it's really the greatest struggle that we fight against is indifference. When people become indifferent. And I think that's what, when we hear people say, you know, when we hear Black Lives Matter... You know, and then people say, oh, all lives matter, which is kind of crazy. But what we, we don't realize is that when you see Black Lives Matter, is it's kind of a saying, like, it's saying, it's it's begging to get rid of indifference, you know, um, because it, 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 it's saying, do we matter as much as white lives? Do we matter as much as these lives? You know, we know, we're not saying these lives don't matter. Of course, these lives matter. But, you know. Do we our lives matter as well? Do black lives matter too? You know, it, it, it is what's being asked and what's being said. And, and can you show it? Because we've asked our our black brothers and sisters to tolerate way too much in the past, and to tolerate discrimination and, and against the police and about different things. And we said, oh, just you know, just you know. I mean, I when I grew up, my parents never had to sit down and explain to me, you know, how to act in front of a cop. Mm-hmm. Because I might get killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents didn't have to do that. But people of color, people who attend revolution, I know have had had to hear that and grow up and hearing that and have to explain it to their own kids. Mm-hmm. And and you know that's a tolerance that's not. We should they, we shouldn't be asking people to have that type of tolerance, to live that way. Okay, again, that, that was a little bit of a sidestep, but it, I hopefully it will all connect. Um. So I, I would say the real enemy is indifference. That's what we're fighting against. So if you're indifferent today, maybe you've, you know, there's parts of me that wish I could be indifferent towards certain things. And and even in my own, in in my own therapy, in my own study to get better, there were things where I really struggled hard to extinguish love in my life for certain people because I kept getting hurt so much and so disappointed, you know, and such a great disappointment that I also had to work to kind of extinguish a certain type of love, which seems crazy for me to say, like, oh, Jay, why would you try to get rid of love? Um, well, because I, 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 I didn't, I, I didn't want to be hurt anymore. I didn't want to hate anymore, and I, and I, so I, I kind of wanted a bit of indifference in my life. Unfortunately, I, I feel like I might be a kind of allergic to indifference, you know. But then there's sometimes I feel indifferent towards the, the church culture in some ways, even though I talk about it a lot. Um, but like popular Christian church culture I just doesn't get me excited you know like I don't know all the new Christian books that are coming out I don't know what's going on in the Christian world right now um, you know I know what's going on in the world right now but I'm not like up to date on what's the haps with, with religion um, unless it's theologically 
speaking. Um, maybe you love your enemy and you just don't know it. But I'm really saying like this is an unconscious thing. I'm not saying this is something that you like, oh, you might be able to tap into it. But I'm just saying, think about the fact that we may love our enemies if those who are disappoint us the most, those who have hurt us the most, those who get to us the most. Um, mm-hmm. What if those are the ones you love the most? Um, and there's nothing you can do about it except learn to get in touch with it. And I think this is why people like Hegel talk so much about um, co- being contradiction and having contradictions in our own lives that we don't know it. You know? Um, how much time do you spend on your enemies? You know, how much time do you spend fighting for justice? And what I'm asking is, is not for you to stop fighting for justice by any means, is, but is there part of us that hopes that in our fight for justice that we not only bring justice to those who are being hurt and ignored, but we bring justice to those who are doing the hurting, to those who are doing the persecuting, to those who maybe are misguided. Is there hope that maybe the truth will get to them? And I think there is. I think that there might be a deeper, deeper hope for that. Um, I was thinking about this one person I follow on 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 Twitter and on Instagram, and I mean they are really passionate about hating Donald Trump. Like they, like you would be like, everything wrong in this world is Donald Trump's fault. You know everything. And, um, like, and, and like no one associated with Donald Trump, no voter for Donald Trump, no nothing has like much re- redeemable value at all. And they're the enemy. They're not real Christians. They're bad. You know, I mean, that's, that is this person's view. And it's just, it's almost as though their purpose and their passion is just to destroy Donald Trump. But I wonder, with such great disappointment, with such anger, with such constant, you know, thinking about this person, is there some sort of form of love that they're just not in touch with? And it could just be their love of chaos. It could, could be having a purpose. You know, I, I don't know what it is. Honestly, I'm not a, I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a theologian. I'm not, you know, a psychiatrist. But I'm still going to ask these questions for some of us to think about. Um, how do we get in touch with that love and make it work? Because hate and resentment are not getting us anywhere. You know? So if hate and resentment continue to to keep us from being productive and keep us from creating a change that actually makes a difference, you know, um, if we're constantly angry and unable to see clearly because hate is clouding that, then um, 
how do we get in touch with the underlined area of the the, the, the down deep inside the the, the 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 passion or the love or the hope that lies beneath that anger you know that that turns that into something that becomes extremely productive that doesn't just become a hashtag or doesn't become just blacking your screen out or anything like that but really becomes productive really starts to change things it could be within relationships of any type of relationship it's easy to focus on politics right now and really great huge things but even things as far as friends and family and co-workers or, or spouse or ex-spouse or ex-partners you know um and definitely enemies you know i mean what are maybe ways that we can touch this type of thing um to be productive because i want i think we all long to be productive members of society i think we all long to be part of ending injustice um how do we get in touch with the deeper forms of love almost the lizard brain form of love to take us to the next area of really making changes that not only makes it better for the victims but makes it better and changes even those who are being who are causing the victims. He, how do we even change our enemies? And I mean, and King would say that love is the only thing effective to being able to change those people. So my my hypothesis is that there may be some sort of deeper love within us that allows us to work to such an extent that causes change across the board. But it, causes, it takes lots of time and lots of deep work. And like I said before, love is it, loving others is not a cowardice game. It's not for the faint of heart. You know, it, it, even when we love those we that we our family, you know, is a good example. It's it's a struggle when they say things that hurt us or when they reject us. When they, but we wouldn't be in those places if we didn't feel. We wouldn't feel that pain. We'd feel indifference. We feel hurt. We feel the pain because we love them. You know? Um, and so rather than allowing resentment to take over our lives, my mom used to talk about the sermon where she said that she carried Jerry Fall around on her back because mm. she had so much hate and anger towards him. And she's like, here I am carrying this 300-pound man, probably heavier than that, around my back, you know, and it's doing nothing but killing me. You know, like he's dying and he's killing me. You know, she goes, I had to forgive him. I had to let it go, you know. Um, and she did more of a forgiveness from the distance, but it changed her life and made her life better. But I'm even saying, like, aren't we supposed to build on other people's work? So here I'm going to try to build on my mom's work a little bit. How do I unchain that person from my back and then find a way to continue to love them in a way that transforms them? You know? And that might be through, you know, speaking out, speaking truth, the power, speaking to them in different ways. Um, you know, I, I hope, I don't know. This is honestly, this is just a, a fly off the wall sermon that I don't even know I'm 100% sure about. It's just something that I've really been thinking about this week. So I just wanted to put it out there and challenge some of you guys to think about it too. And, we could have the you know have the discussion here on Facebook and and think about it. So, is there an unconscious love? Uh, is, is what King says that if there's there can't be great disappointment without a great 
uh, without a deep love. There cannot. There, he's, King says there can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. So, and this is just a question. This isn't me trying to mean to it. But like when I think about this guy who constantly just goes after Trump constantly, boom, boom, boom. Is there a deep love for him? Does he have a deep love for Trump that he doesn't even realize? Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but I said, and again, like, you know, but I said, for some of us, maybe we have to learn to just distinguish, extinguish, put out like a cigarette, love. And maybe that's what some of us need to do. And you know what? I'm going to tell you what? I'm not here to judge you for that because I've had to work on certain areas in my life in the past that I'm not going to get into, but where I just, I had to learn to just kind of at least turn the burner down a bit because it wasn't beneficial for me or for that person. It was a misguided love. Um, Or can we use love for what it really is? Never giving up, never losing faith, always being hopeful, enduring through every circumstance, but also speaking truth because rejoice is when truth wins out. So we want to rejoice. We want truth to win out. You know, I think that's one that's easy to read by. Rejoices when truth wins out from Corinthians 13 we talked about last week. Um, and and I, was, I, was, I was thinking about an example that I heard. I think uh, Pete was having had a psychoanalytic look at this um, protest. There was a Trump protest. And there were these signs that said, Love, Trump, love Trump's hate. Which means, you know, like, love Trump's hate but he was saying that in a way unconsciously is there a love do they actually love Donald Trump's hate you know what I mean like that's what drives them it's what passion like you know like when we see like these super right wing conservative um, talk shows and the super left wing talk shows and they oh you know they find the devil in the details and they just go after each other and they you know and there's their point where it's like they love the hate. You know what I mean? They love it so much because it, they, they don't know otherwise how they would survive. I mean, we, we, mm-hmm. if we didn't have an enemy, if they didn't have an enemy and someone to scapegoat constantly, you know, they wouldn't have a living. And so sometimes we have to look at that too. Is, it, it, is Sometimes are we engaging in loving the hate of the others that it, it, it almost like gets our saliva going and gives us purpose and now we can be like now I'm a warrior and I will stand for truth and justice you know um, you know we really do have to check ourselves check our motives check our our, our our hearts check you know what are we doing you know I mean you'll you'll see I've seen it a lot in the past few years on uh, with when with with like these groups of, of progressives where they go after somebody and they can you know and then they find somebody else to go after and then all of a sudden it kind of comes this 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 uh time where they're they maybe those people are just out of the world then they start to go after each other because someone's not progressive enough or someone in the in, in the group got accused of something else and then they start to like feed off of each other and it's like this neat and i've seen it with conservative groups constantly growing up but uh, but i've seen it in both sides is what i'm trying to say and it's like when we don't have someone to tear apart or when we don't have someone to talk about or we don't have someone to make us feel better about ourselves, then we, you know, we have to start to eat ourselves. We start to go after each other. 
and um, and that and that to me that's just a form of legalism um, that really is is hurtful and painful, um, you know. So so I think what I'm trying to say is is one we when we see that happening when we see those things unfolding, um, can we step back and question ourselves? Look at the disappointment, but also really look and see if there is some type of love that because I think a lot of these folks mean well you know I think a lot of us of course social justice warriors and you know and these people are their their heart I think that the foundation starts with the heart in the right place you know what I mean like even my dad I don't think my dad woke up one day and was like I'm going to sell food buckets you know um, no, he started out saying, like, I want to do a children's show and tell them about Jesus because Jesus is awesome and, you know, I feel like Jesus is the answer, so we want to do this, you know, and then it just grew, 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 you know. Jerry Falwell didn't, like, one day wake up and be like, I'm going to one day start the Christian right and make people feel horrible about themselves, you know. He probably had a really great moment at church and was like, oh, this is the answer, and then over time it got a lot of misinformation, a lot of tradition, and a lot of southern stuff mixed in there um so anyway um so this is the thing is is you know if we find our our passions and fighting injustice i guess the question is is what happens when we get to justice what happens when i mean luckily we live in a world where there's always going to be injustice so i guess we can just hop to another injustice and just just fight for justice and become superheroes um, but my question is, is, is if our purpose is only in fighting injustice, when that injustice is over, when do we get to the point where we go, you know, is there a room for love? Is there a room for peace? Do we really want peace? Can peace really exist? And can we have peace in the midst of peace? What I like about love is I think love creates a, an environment where we're able to like, accept one another for our differences. And I think we've done that best with revolution. I think grace is, plays a big part of that, too, is just saying, like, you know, I'm going to accept you. You know, I don't agree with you, but I'm going to accept you. I'm going to go back there. I'm going to love in, that, in a way that, that doesn't demand my own way. And I think that does a lot. Um, and I think that's a, a, a pretty cool type of love. So, Jesus asks us to love our enemies and do good to our enemies. Um, so, what I'm asking is, it was Jesus not asking us to do something miraculous, but was Jesus asking us to do something that was always been within inside us, that we have the capability of doing? That Jesus isn't saying, go out of, go out of your, you know, do a miracle and, and love enemies. Is he saying, no, there, there is something within you. There is a love that is within you in your humanity that allows you to do that that is there um, unfortunately you know I mean there's so much ignorance in the world and there's so much confusion in the world and uh, that gets in the way of all those things I don't know I guess the question is today is is, is are, are we you know are we strong enough to question ourselves is the great disappointment that we feel about so many things actually connected where there is, is a, to a deeper love that maybe we haven't connected with? Is there something, is there a love that we're all capable of having that we haven't quite connected with?
And is there a love that goes as far as knowing when it's time to extinguish love when we know it's harmful for that person and ourselves? Is love able to sacrifice itself? God, I've probably been reading too much philosophy at this point. Because <laughs> um, I'm thinking really weird thoughts, uh, critically. So that's it today, really. Um, I don't have a whole lot more for you. Just this question of, is there a deeper love? And, 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 and was King touching on something even deeper when he said, there could be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love? Is, is loving our enemies built within us? You know, is what makes them an enemy have something to do with a common love for humanity that maybe we've missed out on? Um, Is the reason that we fight so much for equal justice, for love, for tolerance, and things like that because we know instinctively that it is something within us? Are we more than, than animals? Self-conscious animals. So this should be fun. Um, we're going to do the Q&A if there's any. There's, yeah, there are quite a few. Oh, I've got some for you. I I'm, thought Caleb was banned, but we'll try. We'll yeah. try again. Nope. It's no. better be a huge question. <laughs> you get the good with the bad, buddy. I'm curious if, when you first started talking about it with that quote there, uh, about not being deep, deep disappointment without deep love. I thought you were talking specifically about you can't be deeply disappointed with someone, that specific person, or, or deeply hate, feel hatred for that specific person unless you deeply care about them, which I fully relate with and, and, and has become a very tangible and real thing to me. You know, if I, it's like with family members, if I get super duper irritated with them, it's because I, I, I have the capacity for that in as much as I have the capacity to love them. It's because I'm so frustrated because I care about them. But then when you're talking about like with hate groups and then you sort of clarify, it sounded like you were clarifying and you said, well, they have love for hate. It's not that the white nationalists love the, the immigrants, but they love their hatred for the immigrants. Is, is it, I'm just asking for clarification. Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, no. The first one, you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head. Um, no, I mean, I, I think the second one was kind of off, a little bit off topic, to be honest with you. It wasn't uh-huh. as clearly as I, I would have liked it to be. Um, so I'm glad you said something. Um, no, I, I just think sometimes we. I was trying to show that like our obsessive nature sometimes comes out towards like when someone's acting a certain way, we end up really. It makes us so angry that it makes us happy to have something to be angry about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um. So so I guess when I'm, I, I, I mean, my, I am thinking that though, like when we are also so disappointed by that by those people holding signs like that. We are so disappointed at someone like Donald Trump or someone like, you know, or the police department as a whole. Um, I'm just asking, is there some sort of deeper love that we have for groups like that or hope that we had had Mm -hmm. for people? And then when we see them go contrary to that, that it hurts us deeply. 
Like, why aren't, you know, there's a reason we're not indifferent about it. And is it just because of the victims Mm. or is it also because of the victimizer? Is there something that we feel towards? I'm asking the, I guess the question I'm, I'm curious about is, do we also have love towards those who are committing bad acts right, right you know right. is there a letdown is there some uh-huh. sort of human thing that they like they're they're not living up to their potential and that it hurts us even though they're strangers right well wh- where is where is that group it just in and of themselves where where's the hate groups required love if, if they have the hate then they have then by king's words there would have to be a required love that was just as deep where is that where is their love well i mean i would say that it's unconscious yeah and that it's been, it's been, um, uh, it, it's been, mis- it's somehow been misguided, uh-huh. you know, be- through the way they were raised, through being taught misinformation, um, you know, the well has been poisoned, mm-hmm. you know, um, and the thing is, is, is hate dis- great disappointment? But somehow I believe there is some sort of love built in with hate. And is there a way for us to reveal that? And I think King must have believed that because King was nonviolent. King taught us to confront our enemies, to have conversations with them, and that love was capable to transform those enemies into friends. Sure. So it's not such a radical idea when you look at it in those those in his terms mm-hmm. and some of his the ways that he did things. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but ultimately they got him killed because that kind of loving usually doesn't it often gets you killed it often gets you killed and usually changing people sometimes takes more than one life sure cool I will stop taking all the time for myself this is kind of a a similar question to my first question Zoe asked the hatred that leads to murder of black people does not include any care I would rather those folks be indifferent am I misunderstanding it seems to me like fighting for black lives is very much a fight against hatred an active intentional force against black lives not indifference but I'm open to maybe I just don't understand what you mean I missed the beginning of this oh um, well no I wouldn't have any indifference towards fighting for black lives mm-hmm. I mean that's I think they're saying the people who are who are um, the hate groups yeah they'd rather see the hate groups be indifferent than be hateful well, I'd rather see the hate groups yeah. be indifferent than hateful right. too you know Honestly, um, as well. But what I'm trying to say is, is the fact that maybe that there's something within us unconsciously that we have to face and that we have to look at that won't even allow for that indifference to exist until you've touched to why it's there. You know, I mean, I think some of those folks involved in hate groups, if they sat down and with a good therapist and looked at why they hated, yeah. they would realize that there's some sort of misguided thing Absolutely. and that they're caught into some sort of sick tradition right. that... And that, they don't know those yeah. people personally. No, that, so, so it's easy for them to project their presumptions onto those people because their ideas to them, they don't know them personally. Yeah, and they might be redirecting hate that they might feel towards a loved one, towards a family member, towards themselves, uh, towards other people mm. who are different because they don't know what else to do with that hate. Right. But, you know, their thing is that there needs to be some sort of education, mm-hmm. some sort of enlightenment mm-hmm. that happens for them to be able to see that, to even extinguish any love or any hate that's there, mm-hmm. that's behind it, you know? But they have to realize that there's there's something behind it. Yeah. You know? Right. And there's not 
a big enough protest sign in the world that's going to change that. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So my hope and prayer is, is that there's people who are called to those folks, to be in those folks' lives, to see transformation. I remember that in the 60s and 70s, there was a pastor who felt like he was called to minister. And I wish I could remember his name. I'll look it up. I, I have it at home. I have a book of his at home who is called to reach out to white supremacists and show them grace and show them love and try to see change in their heart so they wouldn't be white supremacists. Mm-hmm. But he had a ministry towards those people. And he was very often misunderstood. And there was a lot of people who did not like what he did. Yeah. Um, and uh, felt that he was, he was, you know, winking or things like that at, at these people's horrors and horrific hate um, but ultimately he saw people change and, 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 and leave those types of hate groups yeah. you know so do we do we find a way where we can support people who are doing that type of work mm-hmm. or do we start to do that type of work ourselves mm-hmm. you know do we go okay well I'm gonna you know my ministry is gonna be to people who you know who support the police or my, my I'm gonna start a ministry just the police officers Right, you know, and go in and, and find out what's driving them. Why are they afraid? Why is this? Why are they bought into a, a racist system? You know, how can we, you know, change them from a relationship? I mean, that's mm. probably not easy or as popular to do right now. Right. Yeah. I'm just trying to think like, how do we manage real change, and and how do we do that? using people like Martin Luther King who get, drew a really great map for us mm-hmm. and take their work and continue to put it towards that. Mm-hmm. So Cheryl also was responding to what Zoe had said and says, uh, I think it's a fear of unknown, the fear of misunderstanding someone who is different in culture, beliefs, etc. People who say ignorant racist things or have a racist point of view on rioting, protesting, or what have you, simply because they have a fear of what they don't understand. Quote, Karen is misguided. (laughs) Not necessarily hating lives of people who aren't just like her. By having conversations or open hearts, we can move forward. This is a lot of like what you're just saying. Move forward away from the real enemy of indifference. Simply not being open because someone is different than you. It's just that's how I'm... Yeah, and I think too, I I have this thing of like where... You know, we can't just fight to shut these people down and shut them up and take away their voice. I mean, that's a good, maybe a good start. But the fact is, they'll rise up again. So how do we, how do we create a cure? You know, how do we create something so this system doesn't rise up, or that a new worse system doesn't rise up? When yeah. We put that system out. Mm. You know, I don't know. Let's see. Robert says, oh, old, good old Bob, our friend yep. Bob, says, we create our own reality, choose to love, the key is in your hand. It can be a hell of a lot of work. Yeah, no, it, it is. I mean, for me, this is just thinking. This is me just going through my thoughts, through my ideas, through my, my studies, through what I'm reading, and, 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 and trying to look at different ways of thinking and different modes of thinking that I feel go along with what the Christian faith in my life has called me to do what loving my enemy looks like and trying to see if there is a deeper meaning and understanding to loving my enemies but man it's not easy no you know and that's what I'm trying to say is like 
Christianity isn't this easy little religion where you just say a prayer and everything's taken care of. Love is, last week I talked about love being the key to Christianity, mm-hmm. that you can't have Christianity without love, period. You know, and saying that this is something that it's calling us to a higher level. I mean, this is why, why, why Hegel thought Christianity, you know, Hegel thought that it was like the religion. Like he went from being very indifferent about it in his early years to thinking that, wait, there's this type of love that exists within Christianity that I don't see anywhere else, mm. and it blows my mind, and it's going to drive my work. And that's what I'm saying is that I'm not as half as smart as Hegel, but that it's this love has blown my mind. It drives me. It's pushing me to a place that go further, and it's causing me to think critically, mm-hmm. but it's also causing me to try to love. I am finding a love mm-hmm. for these people that I've in the past hated, and I am finding empathy for them. Um, and I, I, I'm realizing that some people are just ignorant, and some people are just raised in an area that they just don't yeah. know. Like, if you just moved them literally, like, from one city to another city, yeah, you know, right. things would change. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean... I, I, I experienced that personally being raised in, in the Bible Belt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I did too. You know, and, and, and for me, it's like looking, looking, just constantly looking deeper into how we do this love thing. Is there a different way we can do it? And it's just easy to love those who love you, you know? And, um, you know, something, something that popped into my head I'd be curious to get your thoughts on is, um, is self-love, self-hatred, and self-indifference? Because I know, you know, I know sometimes, like, um, if I'm not loving myself, uh, if I'm hating myself, then that's when I'll get my kid, like, suicidal ideations and things yeah. like that. But then also I can get indifferent towards myself and just, just, like, let myself go and not eat and not shower and things like that. Do you, do you think that that's uh, another application of the same paradigm? Probably. and I, But I also think that you know, like trying to discover what Hegel meant by not not believing in self love last week. Oh, that's true too. Is, hey, did Hegel ever have a conversion moment? Was there ever like a oh, you know? It seemed like it. It seems like it. Like yeah. Jesus touched his heart, and he. Well, I don't know if it was Jesus touching his heart. Yeah. But this idea of love really did. That yeah. was a conversion moment uh-huh. for him. Um, I was wondering if you ever said a sinner's prayer. <laughs> it's probably not. I probably didn't exist when he. I'm just being silly about it. Um, Here's another question from Zoe. What what is a social justice warrior? This name I've only heard from right wing folks who mock or minimize folks who do not practice uh, work to see justice on earth. Jay, it sounds like you're using the word to suggest that they might be misguided. Could you define what you mean? To whom are you referring when you say social justice warrior? Um. Well, I mean, if you. You know, and this I, is from a Canadian. Uh, yeah, I mean, for member. me, social justice warrior. I mean, I've been a social justice warrior. Yeah, you know, and it's just you go to war with anybody who's not practicing social justice. But there's extremes in, of anybody. I mean, I, I, I think like I could point out examples of people that I could think of off the top of my head, um, but I don't want to name names mm-hmm. right now. Um, it's it's a holier than thou liberal. It is. Liberalism. It is. It is a liberalism that finds it. It's a liberalism, you know. In, in conservative Christianity, you know, we have this thing where we find our acceptance through being holier than thou, or finding self righteousness. And it's you know, and you see someone who's very self righteous. And I think it's the left's 
side of that to me is is the person whose self-righteousness becomes based on their works just as a conservative be like well I vote this way and I don't do this and I don't touch myself and I don't have a less lot you know and so I'm 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 sanctified it would be the other side saying well no look at all the good works I do I go out and I fight for social justice I do this I do that you know not you know, very PC, very politically correct, yeah. very legalistic, legalistically, but legalistically fighting for social justice and liberal, <laughs> and, and so in a way, it becomes um, their self righteousness is that, and if you can't add up to my to me, mm-hmm. then you don't add up to anyone, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and so um, I think we all know those type of people. You know, they become you know. It's, I'm afraid to talk. I'm actually more afraid to talk about social justice warriors than I would be in conservatives because I don't want to get on the social justice shit list because yeah. those are the people who cancel you. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the people who frighten me the most. You know, um, and they go hardcore. They go super hardcore, and, and they, a lot of outlets. And, and I understand why they feel self righteous. You know, but they would laugh and mock a Christian's like a conservative Christian's type of self righteousness. You know, and not realize that what they've done usually is just traded that. For another type of self righteousness, and uh, it's a, a t- almost a type of masturbation, you know, where there's mm, like absolutely. spiritual masturbation 100%. or self righteous masturbation. Yeah, you know, I'm so and, PC. I'm you so know, PC. it's it's it, it, they don't you know by helping others, it just makes them feel better about themselves, and it really is about themselves. They're not really sacrificing anything. They're just being just generally better than everybody else. And everybody falls into that. It's easy for right people, conservative people, left people to fall into it. And people do. You know? And honestly, there's not many people that annoy the living crap out of me in this world. But self-righteous people drive me insane. Who are who are like grace monitors or love monitors or work monitors. Who are like just, I'm keeping an eye on everybody to make sure everybody's doing the right thing. Like, and you can't live up to my expectations then you're not good enough and you better listen to me. You know, I mean, to me, that's the type of thing. It's like constantly pointing out the contradictions. You know, me, I try to learn to live with contradictions. So when someone points out a contradiction to me, I go, right, I have contradictions. You know, the the, 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 the labor made, you know, I might talk about like not buying diamonds, you know, slave trade. But at the same time, I'm talking to you on a phone or tweeting about it on a phone that was made by people in really awful working conditions. You know, I don't know who makes the pants that I'm wearing right now. Mm. You know, um, you know, there, there's always layers to it. You know, but it's re- realizing that we live within a system that is that way, and and not being. I'm not trying to be indifferent to it. Um, I'm just realizing that there's not mm, unless I put a lot more work into it and maybe spend money I don't have. I might not be capable to live within the means that I want to live, within the ideals that I want to live. Um, I try to, but I don't always do always do a good job at it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joanna said, maybe because we have a genuine desire to love everyone, then we are disappointed that we can't love certain people because of their actions and hate in their hearts. It's an interesting thought. Yeah, but and if we're disappointed in them. And we go like, oh man, I'm disappointed that I can't love you. Then I would say there is some sort of form of love of love that might yeah, be there because you're disappointed. Because you're disappointed. Yeah. Because you want to. Like there's some sort of feeling of care. Yes. It might not be love. Right. But there's some sort of feeling that's positive 
that's not just disappointed because of the person's actions, mm-hmm. but you're disappointed because of that of that by, for that person. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like even think of just what happens. Like if you pass a random person on the street and you're just like, I don't know, you're just like, oh fuck that person. Like you know, I'll never see them again. But then you run into them at a party or, or at, at a you know a social gathering or something, and then they're a real person to you, and then yeah. you then you have care for them. And you know, it may not be love, but it's just I think a, a human thing. Um, anyways, uh, Cheryl said the hate they have is something they need to heal from. Sadly, it can only be healed through grace. They need to find their own. They need to find from their own inner struggle. And most people are afraid to do that. People don't want to face their own demons for whatever reason. Why it is fear. I think that's why I, 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 I'm always so much on this on the Martin Luther King kick. And it's really easy to throw out a bunch of quotes from Martin Luther King and, and say the good things and not talk about like his politics or even the fact that he was a human being and had issues with with his own sexuality and different things like that, you know. Um, you know, or the fact that, you know, I mean he had a lot of hard stuff that I don't like don't put up. Somebody today asked me, like, why don't you put up a quote about kings and reparations you know you put up as not some of this stuff but why don't you talk about what he asked about reparations would you like to hear some more of that and mm. I said, of course i'll be glad to find some of that and put it up you know i've read about it and i've read books he's written and it's in there it's easy um but yeah i mean it, it, people are but what i love that continued to call me about to comes back to king and even like the bible and stuff is that whole idea of loving your enemies and then seeing King do it, and then seeing King not being just like, you know, I'm here to liberate my brother, my black brothers and sisters. But he was also like, I'm here as equally to liberate my white brothers and sisters right. who are doing this. Mm-hmm. They need to be liberated exactly. from their misinformation, yes. from this hate, yes. from this way of thinking. Uh-huh. I mean, I think we can all agree, like, I don't understand racism in a way because I go like, wouldn't it fucking be better if we all treated each other with love and respect? Wouldn't it be better if we lived a life where we all could just be human beings? You know, and we, you know, I mean, I get it. Yeah. You know, and, um, but it, it just can't, you know, the great thing about laws is laws can't force you to love someone, but it can at least force you from, you know, at least make you pay the price when you you put your knee on somebody's neck for eight minutes. mm and it can change that, and I think that's why we probably have to change laws first. Mm. But eventually, I think the, the, a lot of hard work comes in too. Is when we go, how do we change these people's ideas? How do we change yeah. not just the system, but how do we change individuals? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and maybe it sounds find, corny, but I think it has to be relational. Yeah, no, it does have to be relational, and but that's where hard work, and that requires a lot of people, like a lot of people, and a lot of time, a lot of effort. I mean, it's going to cause casualties too. You know what? Yeah. Well, it's going to get you really emotional you know, and, physical, casual, and physical casualties. casualties. I mean, that's why people who I loved who thought that way, you know, I mean, even Gandhi was killed, you know? Yeah. It's like... It's a strange pattern we keep seeing with these loving, loving revolutionaries. Um, Zoe said a comment, you two are so great. I love watching these conversations. So good. You're like Conan and Andy. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, Okay. Uh, except all, except all about uh, love, grace, and instead of masturbating bears and cursing dog puppets. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, okay, we got a lot of a lot of great feedback, a lot of internal conversations in here. People oh, talking good. back and forth. It's great. I love this community, man. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the guy that everybody's talking about it. I mean, yes. that's what I want folks to do is just maybe talk about it, think about it. And if you come to a better idea or a good idea or something, a clear thought, please share it because I could use it. Sometimes I just bring stuff to you that's not even completed thoughts. You know, it's just an idea that's there and I just have to get it out and work it out because I don't know other way to construct it and I need your help to construct it as well, you know? Oh. Yep, I think that's about it. Most of the rest of it is uh, some internal conversations that will keep on continuing off the air, I believe, it looks like. We've really sparked some great conversations today. Yes. Yeah. Oh, hey, remind everyone about Q&A with Jay because we're going to be recording that soon. Oh, yeah, we're, cr- we're recording Q&A with Jay next week. So please. Questions for revolution oh. at Gmail. Questions for revolution at Gmail. So if you have a question for revolution or anything like that, um, please hit us up. Go there and do that and let us know. So then we'll read your questions online, live online with Q&A with Jay. All right. Anyway, thanks for listening today. Um, Hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and for your support, especially on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day again. And um, hey, if you like our work and what we're doing and you consider this your church, I'm going to just ask real quick if you'd consider making a donation and giving. We could really use it. Things are really tight right now. And uh, trying to keep this thing going is uh, not easy. So appreciate it. Um, love you guys, and we will uh, be back next week. Thank you. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. If you enjoyed this show, you might also like The Sacred Collective. An overt element would be, you know, Jim Crow style segregation stuff, you know, where it's in the law. Blacks can't vote. It's in the law interracial marriage can't happen. It's been systematized in that way. But then, you know, what we're dealing with in the U.S. is this under-the-table covert racism, which is in the system. And a lot of people can't recognize it because our overt systematic expression has been so strong and it was so in your face and that's gone and people then say, well, you know, what do you mean systematic racism? The Jim Crow stuff is gone. You know, black people, they can move anywhere they want to move. They can buy a house. They can interracially marry. They can do this. They can do this, this, this. There are policies, especially the legal system. If you don't look hard enough, you won't see. And if you're a person of color, you will experience them. You will feel them. That was a post-Christian podcast.